0: Dog and
1: Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail, and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. This episode of The Dog and Bone is going to eat itself. We're going to talk about having your own podcast and writing your own book. To chew this over, I'm joined by two business big dogs who have simultaneously had high-profile media careers while establishing themselves as authors and commentators on work and management. Bruce Daisley started the Eat, Work, Sleep, Repeat podcast in 2017 and has grown it into the go-to listen for workplace tips and trends. Last year, he published a book. The Joy of Work, which was a Sunday Times number one bestseller. It also actually reached a sun lounger by an infinity pool in Corfu in July, and I can vouch for that. Bruce left his job as SVP Twitter Europe in January this year, presumably to improve his own work life balance. Still in his job is my other guest, Chris Hurst, who is global CEO of Havas Creative, a big ad agency network. A popular and respected advertising figure, Chris published his book, No Bullshit Leadership, last year. And all bullshit aside, it is actually shortlisted for Book of the Year at the Business Book Awards and comes out as a paperback in March. Chris and Bruce, welcome to the Dog and Bone.
0: Why did he get popular and I didn't get popular?
1: yeah there you go. there's no egos involved here <laughs> you, you had a slightly higher yeah, what, word count right, I right, to, okay. why, did he, why did he get more words yeah, <laughs> yeah i know that's right i just had, i was just patting not there's out. any egos Populous. involved in, go, in, it? The, in, the, in the world of first management lesson yeah equal, equal praise for all so uh, bruce tell us why did you start that podcast
0: because i i started it in a sort of moment of feeling frustrated because the the glory that i'd had when i'd first been at twitter i'd, I'd built a culture that was the culture that I wanted to work in and you know I'd come some way along the road to doing that in YouTube I'd built a team that was quite quirky and different to the rest of the the Google setup in the UK and quite famous for that and then I went to Twitter and I built something that again I, I was really proud of and then about four or five years into being at Twitter a combination of events meant the culture that had been incredible and had been like this this uh, lighthouse that people were drawn to just went catastrophically wrong. And my first instinct was to search on Amazon for books to fix it. And I had a few friends who'd worked in sort of work culture areas and I asked them for advice and I couldn't find anything. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do six podcasts myself where I contact experts and ask them, you know, the instructional set of things to do to fix work. I thought, if you put that number to it, you're not going to fail. You're not going to miss your target. And I quite enjoyed doing it. And and, and I was assailed with so many things as I was going along. I was like, I can't believe the, the whole of work is set up that way. And these people doing research that says you know, that's a disaster. Open plan offices being the sort of the obvious example. And because I was seeing so much evidence from these things, I was like, okay, I'm going to carry on doing it. So there was no, there was never a a point where I thought, I tell you what the world needs, it needs more of me. It was more me trying to solve a problem. And actually, if you thought about it, if you started from that perspective, a lot of the podcasts, I'm barely in them. I sort of voice them at the start. I try and facilitate the guests to say what they want to say and then sort of exit out. So it's, it's not really a vehicle for my, my own personality to, to be transplanted most of the time. And did the book naturally follow from the podcast, or do you see that as a separate kind of Yeah, venture? well, at the time it became number one business podcast, Penguin contacted me saying, would you turn this into a book? And, you know, my feeling was, you're only going to get that offer once. Just it's... while I had no intention of, of doing it, and actually I do wonder if books... It's probably an unfashionable thing to say, but I do wonder if big books represent the means of significance that previous generations used, used to communicate with. But um, but I thought I'm, I'm only going to get that off at once.
1: Okay. So, Chris, why did you go for a book rather
2: than a podcast? I, I didn't see it as a choice between doing a book and a podcast. I think what what, what happened was it's a, it's in some ways a, 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 a lesser... Uh, Less dramatic story than that in a way. Basically, the the I suppose there are two reasons. There was an immediate catalyst, which was I was asked to do a presentation uh, on leadership. And about two days beforehand, I discovered that I was one of three people who'd been given the same brief. And suddenly, it becomes competitive, not just. <laughs> so, I, what on earth am I going to say that isn't just the same old bullshit? Frankly, about leadership. So I actually, okay, I think about it. And then I came back from doing that and I thought, oh, I, wonder, I literally, I wonder if there's a book in that. So that, that was the. That was the, the catalyst but but actually why did i write a book i wrote a book because honestly i wanted to write a book i like writing I, you know and i i wanted to write a book that i felt was a a useful book for people i think i felt i had something to say but i think you know i also wanted to write something that was a other people will be the judge but a well-written uh, book so i i actually enjoyed as much as anything, I did it for the process. Interesting, though, as a provocation,
0: that provocation of imagine three other people are doing the same brief. I mean, I guess that's what the pitching business is to some extent. Yeah. But thinking of yourself in competition mm. for answering the question best yeah. is not a bad discipline, is it?
2: No, It no. forces you to...
0: I've got to be a bit more original. I, I turned up somewhere. Yeah. There was an no event yeah. yesterday, a culture event yesterday, and two people presented. And I think had each of them had in their minds... I have to do something that's fresher and more memorable. It would have been to the
2: benefit of everyone in the room. I think it's surprising how often people don't Mm. do that. To be honest with you, how and I don't just mean on 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 any, frankly, on any subject. How often people just go through go through the motions and particularly presenting rather than thinking what's in it for the what's in it for the audience that i'm that i'm it's uh, so spot on because the the amount
0: of times that during the course of promoting a book whatever you either pitch that you want to write an article for someone Mm. or you get asked to write an article for someone it's very easy if it catches you on a tired tuesday morning you type 500 words and it's typing not writing right and you get to the end of 500 words and you just think I, I don't even want to reread it myself this, yeah. there's been no flourish yeah. of wit yeah. and it's just a good reminder that unless you can uh, unless you're trying to be outstanding or do something that's remarkable then sometimes
2: it's not worth doing it what if I, at the risk of reading ahead of your questions, there is a question I get asked which maybe you did as well, do as well which is did you write it yourself yes um, I, I get asked that. that quite a lot and I, I, I did and that's the point in a way, for, for me, that was the point. And also, I feel like a lot of business books are ghost written. And I, I'm not saying that's necessarily a, a bad thing. But the book I wanted to write, I felt like if I'm going to write a book called No Bullshit Leadership, that the attitude in the book is part of the part of the writing yeah. of it.
1: Talk about the process a little bit, both of you. Firstly, Chris, you know, how long did it take you? Does it do you just cram it in in evenings and weekends? What's the, uh, what's the process? Well,
2: the, the process for me was uh, basically I sort of wrote it in chunks, which was I wrote about ten thousand words quite quickly. Because I actually, because I had just done this presentation, I then got. It's basically, funny how word count becomes an obsession, oh, isn't it? Well, it's funny. It's funny to say that because it also, I, I, I convinced, when I did finally get a publisher, I, I, part of my cell was, well, I mean, if I'm writing a book called No Bullshit Leaders, it has to be short, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I, Forty thousand words will do. <laughs> so, it was a sort of a, you know, I think I could probably manage that. So yeah, but but I then actually went. I, I got lucky in the in the, I knew somebody I knew was a, as an agent, a book agent, and so I did go and see that person and say is it worth me persevering? I mean, they didn't say, yeah, it's a work of genius or yeah, oh my God, we really want this. But I did actually go and, because uh, mine was the other way round to yours in that somebody approached you and said, will you will you do a book? Mine was, I'm going to write a book and see whether I can get somebody to publish it. And what I didn't want to do was spend a year ploughing away, as you say, at weekends and things like but that. But with that assured, no you end. then
1: did squeeze it in in evenings and weekends? Or... I,
2: I, I did because I enjoyed the process. But but I think I Probably would have found it harder if I hadn't at least had some degree of kind of encouragement from somebody I felt like they knew what they were talking right. about to keep going. Bruce, how long does it take you to put the job yeah. work together? So,
0: I a lot of people use like programs. I used a Google Doc and I just used to put, and that allowed me actually to be doing it on my phone if I needed to or if if I was travelling away, I didn't need to have all the files on a different computer. I, I generally used to write for Saturday morning for about five or six hours from the moment I got up to just after lunchtime. And then normally on a Tuesday night, and the benefit of mine, because it's like 30 interventions, albeit these three big blocks of theory and and content at the start of those sections, I knew you have to write a proposal for a for a book so it's, it, it's a bit like an essay plan at college so i knew on saturday i'm going to be writing that chapter 21 right and it didn't need to be in order which made a big difference for me so so i could go and do different parts in different places and and if i was getting nowhere with it then i could go and do something else so broadly i had like this google doc where by that you get what i mean by that like an online it's sort of part of Gmail. And I would throw loads of references in there all the time. So, you know, I became... My big focus was reading academic papers. And so I had a lot of travel with work. So someone once sat next to me on a long flight and he said, you, what are you going to watch? And I just showed him this bundle of academic papers that I was about to read. <laughs> and he's like, it, I guess it, it looks utterly joyless. But because you become so fascinated with... I just found something amazing in that paper. That if I combine it with that something in that and so it becomes like a sort of a murder mystery puzzle in that to, to that extent one of the the things that you hear writers say is they say they didn't enjoy writing but they enjoyed having written yes you do hear that and you know that, that's definitely true because a bit like a visit to the dentist you don't really remember the ordeal but it certainly you know retaining your focus is is probably the question retaining your teeth i actually, as well. I, I actually <laughs> did enjoy
2: writing did you? I did, because when I came home, you know, like you, I actually wrote on Saturday, Saturday mornings quite often, mostly at weekends. Okay. I certainly didn't manage six hours at a go, or not often anyway, but, but I actually found because it was sort of using a different part of my brain, um, you know, I found the process of doing it tiring, but but sort of a bit like going to the gym, sort of tiring and refreshing yeah. in the same way, you know, because it was a different, it's just a whole different part of your brain yeah. process to the thing, to the to the part you're using at work. And some days, as you say, you, you'd, you'd sit there and you'd just sort of try and, you know, spend four hours trying to write the same 500 words and it's just just rubbish and you know what i'm just gonna have to go and do something else and other days you'd sit down and you think oh, i've written you know i've written three or four thousand words and you read them back and you go actually do you know what? and they're not too bad and to your earlier point about
1: um the length did you find you you naturally had enough material or did you have to sort of pad it out a bit or go around the block a couple of times killer no filler (laughs) mine
2: no i didn't feel that i i didn't feel i had to pad it out I wanted to re- write a book I felt like a book that you could read on a sort of sh- you know on a short haul flight yeah. you know, two short flights to airport, Berlin and back in a day yeah, sort yeah, of thing and you yeah. could read the book and I, and I felt it was it wanted it to be that sort of book I wanted it to be a manual I think one of the things that m- maybe uh, you found as well Bruce one of the actual difficult things is actually taking stuff out so you'll, you'll write a bit that you really like you think oh, I, I, and it'll sit there and sit there and you can't quite make it work and can't quite make it work and then at some point you know you think you know I'm just going to have to cut that fine you know some of quite big yeah. chunks out the worst and part is i had loads of jokes in
0: mind at the start and uh, and you do that that google doc thing where you you send it over to an editor and he and yeah. he or she goes through and my editor was quite good at moving things around and but um Almost every time he touched it, he'd take a joke out. It's like, oh, that the Kanye West one's gone. <laughs> okay, you know <laughs> yeah, the the yeah. Ian from EastEnders joke has gone. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. You know, so, yeah, yeah. you know, and you're gradually losing these things. Yeah. And and albeit, I mean, there's at least four jokes still in it. But you know, it just it, it felt like the editing process was just taking all of the weird bits out. Really. What was See, your relationship I find, with your
2: editor? I I didn't find that. I expected so there's, there's two ed, you know effectively there's two editors there's a sort of a, a macro and a micro probably got proper words okay but, 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 but there's a, there's, a, there's editor who sort of looked at the you know the overall arc of the book and you know and then there's the person that goes through and does the punctuation the right. typo oh, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know which I thank God for that but actually I, I expected them to be to be more interventionist in some ways in terms of the macro editing okay and I, I sort of didn't I didn't really get into much of that at all to be honest with you. Is I that mean, because you
1: know more about leadership than they do, probably?
2: I don't. I Do know I have absolutely I've only read one book. So I've absolutely no I've absolutely no idea whether whether that's a normal or a non normal experience. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Speaking of macro, so how how important is it for leaders in your position to have a, a book in them? I mean, is it are you, is it just a, a, a quirk for you, or do you think it's a sort of almost like a calling card of of success in your career? First of all, Chris, and then. Bruce on that one
2: no I, I, I don't think it's that I think my view is I think if you're gonna first of all if you're gonna do something do it well and I think to do anything well whether it be a book or a podcast or anything anything is is f is, is hard work and effort Um, and you have to really you have to really want to do it I think and if you really want to do it go for it but if but if you see it as something you know I say, that's a box I've got to tick I, I just don't think that you'd I, I don't. I don't see how that ends up being a good thing. I mean,
0: no. I strongly, strongly agree with that. I get. Um, I do a podcast, and I get people pitching me leader books all the time, and you know, like every week, I get six CEOs. This is the boss of this company. They've written a book, and firstly, I, I, I've made the mistake in the past of interviewing some of them for podcasts. And the moment I was, I'd started the interview, I was like, I don't want to ever put this out. I don't want to put it out. And so, you know, I'd get, and I've I've done a couple of them where I've edited out one really interesting story and just dropped it into another podcast. But just, it's a vanity thing. And I, I just don't know what's in it for anyone. I guess it adds to their credentials. I guess it adds to their LinkedIn or whatever to say, I've got a book. But You know, if a book gets published in the forest and no one reads it. Did it really happen?
1: Well, you mentioned the podcast and people coming on. So you're you're like a you're a media owner now, aren't you? You're you're a sort of editor. Well, look, you know, to to put that in context, PR people ring up. I do. With each podcast,
0: I do about three times the listening for each one than my book got sold last year. I'm working on the basis that books get bought and never read. Then, so let's work on the basis that a third of the people who bought my book read it my podcast does like six times more listening than that so you
1: know your podcast is six yeah, times more listening than the book the, the give us some week. real numbers yeah, can I you mean, like, you know on? so
0: the average episode of the podcast does about 45 to 50,000 listeners right. over the course of a few weeks and you know that that's a multiple of the the book including foreign in hardback it probably sold 16,000 17,000 copies you know so it's sort of Podcast, is than Podcast much more, right? Yeah. And so the the interesting thing for me is I was sitting there thinking, right, and I need to write, I've just left my job, maybe I'll write another book. And I was like, you know, beware, because what you're doing is you're believing that the route to credibility is more books rather than reaching more people. And I think, you know, that's the... So then I started thinking, right, how about I just start doing loads of free stuff on my website? Or, you know, I wouldn't want to do YouTube clips featuring myself, but reaching more people through. It's like, okay, well, maybe you're associating doing a book with something that's like an archaic measure of success.
1: So, because you you think the book is a bit of an outlier to what you're doing. You seem to be saying that the podcast and the website is more um, central.
0: I I get lovely emails from people about the book. But I know the reality of the way that people can see. So, here's the thing, right, okay, so business book like mine, it was big, biggest selling business hardback of the year. And albeit that paperback seller, multiple of that. But if that's reaching sort of 16,000 people, I mean, it's tiny, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's a, a Walsall FC football club. It might get
1: passed around the office. That one's been thumbed yeah, around yeah. the propeller office I a few know. times. I don't
0: know. It's just an interesting thing for me. It's a provocation for me because then I start thinking... So, like, I, I'm about to do a series of podcasts where I give like a PDF that you could download at the same time. Okay. And so the idea is that you know it's a bit of content, but maybe this makes it more enduring piece of content if people see it as like, okay, do you remember that lesson on that one? I'm just
1: interested in in experimenting with format. You mentioned leaving your job at Twitter. Tell us a bit more about that because you obviously got a lot of all of this going. While you're at Twitter, so mm. how did you how did you fit it all in for a start? Yeah,
0: I mean, look, the podcast was always Saturday mornings, so the book f- filled that gap of Saturday mornings, and I wrote the book from January to till, till about I had to submit on the thirty first of July, and so I, I probably wrote most Saturdays between then and then, but I also took two weeks off as well.
1: This is last year, July uh, 20, the year before, last, year so before. 2018. 18, okay, yeah. right,
0: and so it was sort of big blocks of content, but it was always Saturday. Truthfully, because you come home from work, Mondays were exhausting, Tuesdays was a lot of meetings. You know, you come home from work, Wednesday, Thursday you go out, so you just haven't got the energy to, to come home and write. So there was very little got done during the course of the week. Sometimes Tuesday, as I mentioned before, was was getting all my references together, getting my plot line together, getting things like that. But the majority of the writing was at the weekend, so I just didn't do as many podcasts during, during that year, that sort of seven months.
1: And while I've got you here, why did you leave Twitter, and is it related to all these other projects? Uh,
0: you know, like... In my head, when I knew that the book was coming out, I thought, "Okay, well, look, you know, uh, I was sort of debating when was the right time to leave a job like that, sort of demanding job, brilliant job, but you know, sort of ex- exhausting at times." And I thought, "Well, look, I'm going to let the book come out, and you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll sort of, you know, last six months after that, and then I was enjoying things, and it just ended up being a year after the book came out. So, okay, I was, I was. Debating having a change. I've never had a break. So, you know, it was was that, really.
1: Okay. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. One thing I did want to ask you both was um, what your colleagues think of writing a book. Perhaps one for you to start with, Chris. You know, do you, I mean, what, what, do, what do the bosses think? Do they think, well, actually, you know, if he's got time to write a book, why isn't he squeezing a couple more percentage points out of the, uh, the P&L? I'm, well,
2: the first answer I I'm always extremely hesitant in all aspects of my life is to comment on what I think other people think.
0: What you often find is that a lot of the colleagues, your colleagues haven't read it and so because they haven't read it they feel uncomfortable starting a discussion that might reveal that they haven't read it <laughs> so so they often say things like uh, got your book it's good 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 and uh, and then non specific <laughs> or they say you know and i generally was went out of my way to never Never talk about it, and never. Oh, you didn't say what do you think about chapter twelve? No, showboat about it in work. Like you know, Mm. if someone said in a meeting, "How's your book doing?" I would normally close it down pretty abruptly and then move on, because I didn't want someone once made a joke at like a a roast about my podcast, and I'd like I went up to her afterwards and said, "Literally, I spend all weekend on that." And you know, if I'm going to be criticised for doing something at the weekend, it just it. It's quite claustrophobic, sort of. It it's oppressive because if I'm going to be criticised for something I do at the weekend, then it's like criticising someone who goes out cycling all day on Saturday. You know, it's it doesn't feel fair. And so I was always cautious to never, never put myself in a position where that might be levelled at me. But as a as a
1: provocation to you both a little bit, I mean, I think people listening to this podcast who might think, well, I I, I got a book, an idea for a book. I think they will be sensitive to how that comes across to their their clients, their their bosses, their the junior writing, staff. I think writing, I mean, uh,
2: you know, do, uh, doing a podcast, writing a book, you know, any, you know, anything like anything like that. I think you you have to put your, you have to put yourself. You, you are by definition putting yourself out there. A bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're producing a, a thing that's gonna that's gonna go out into the world and. People are going to form a view on that. You mm. know, some people are going to like it, some people aren't. I mean, if you write a book, don't go to Goodreads. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, really. I mean, the the vitriol. You think it's a book well, on leadership? You guys are established uh, you know, authors.
1: What's Goodreads reads So for the what mentioned that to hey, me good good the other day,
0: I've I've not been there since like the first week my book came uh, out, and I'm terrified to go there now. Uh, I mean, it's, tell us what it is. Well, Goodreads is is
1: a
2: is a, is a book is a book review is a bit is a big and influential book review website i don't know if you can buy books through it or not i don't know but it um but but it's owned by amazon is it owned by amazon Mm. that's interesting Mm. well well uh, and you know and it's a it's a it's a a global it's a global thing i did a thing with blinkist and you know people would review people will leave people will leave vitriolic comments about your book on the basis of listening to blinkist you know and so you know I mean it's good. Which is It was an eye opening experience. It never occurred to me. Blinkist is an, an audio. He's an audio is a sort is of, a is a he's a condensed is mm. uh, a condensed version of your of your book. Um so I mean, you know, you put you put yourself out there. I mean most I think it's safe to safe to say that most people most people, most people who are prepared to talk to you about it uh, are are impressed if you've written a book. Um, you know, people think, you know, wow, well, you've you've you know, people are people are polite, but but like you, I you know it, it's, I think it's different if you I think if you're in business, I think some people kind of almost write a book as part of their job, you know whether you get the comp, you know as part of your job, you whether it's set, publish it through the company or you get the company to do it or something. I think that's quite different yeah. to to spending Saturday mornings and saying you know I'm, this is just something that I want to do yeah and the, th- the ones that generally have
0: done through your job, it's a bit like I never told my work I was doing a podcast and yeah. because I thought the moment I tell them then PR, the PR woman is going to ask for approval on it. She's going to give comments. And so I'm just going to do it. And if I get told off afterwards, you know, because I used to, in my job, I used to give full approval for every interview I had to do. I couldn't, you know, I had to be briefed on everything. So I just thought I'm going to do the podcast. And here's what I'm going to do. I'll never, ever mention Twitter and so yeah. you know how on yeah. earth could it intervene with with my job and yeah. it was never an issue but i think the people who do books for their jobs it ends up being written by committee they don't own it i think that exactly, sense yeah. exactly. that sense you know i i like it when people have read my book and they say i really like that steve jobs bit It made me laugh and i'm like okay well, yeah you know yeah i know i did that
2: yeah i i, I agree with that actually I think that's right. you've
1: touched on reviews and publishers and editors talk a little bit about as you're Authors, now your 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 kind of interaction with the world of publishing have you found it Have you found it different to advertising, or has it been an eye opener, or was it how you expected?
2: Well, on on the
1: record, my publisher is absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much, Profile Books.
2: I I mean, the whole process of writing a book was a genuinely interesting uh, experience from which I learned a lot, and I and I say that uh, absolutely. You know, st- straight. I-, I think it was really interesting going through the process. You say, you know, you have to have an idea. You have to write a proposal. That was, you know, I didn't know. How to write. I didn't even know that's what you had to do. You know, even even that took a, a degree of messing around, trying to work out how to it's do half it. the uh, half yeah. the job. Yeah. yeah, writing the proposal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought, well, am I going to write a book and then some editors going to then pull it apart and all this kind. of You know, so which which, which didn't happen, but maybe that can happen. Right. Um, so I actually found the whole process genuinely interesting, and of course, you know when certainly i found i don't know how you felt felt bruce but you know when you the day your book is published and you get you get a box sent to you of your books it's fantastic you know it's a really exciting feeling you think well even even if only my mum buys it you know i've i've got a book published and he's walking into you know i i still i still secret you know uh, guilty pleasure. I've spent a lot of time on planes, and when I walk through Heathrow, I still go and look at W. H. Smith's and see if it's still there. It's
1: there, yeah. How about you, Bruce? You know your intersection with the, the world of publishing and editors and so on. How did you find it all? Yeah,
0: I've I've written. If any of your listeners are interested, I've written like a little PDF of everything I learned, and people can they can uh, find my email via the podcast website and, and email me, and I'll happily send it to anyone. But the, um, the broadly the challenge is, I didn't have an agent. Did you say you've got an agent? I, so I had an agent, yes, but not a right. publisher. So you, I think yeah, you are a publisher, so, not an agent. Yeah, so. yeah. So I do wonder if an agent would tell you a lot of the stuff that I've worked out for myself. But you've got to work on the basis that no one's waiting for your book to come out unless you're Gareth Southgate, or unless you're you know a, a star from, no one is waiting for your book to come out. And so if you're not careful, it won't, it won't sort of explode out of the fire hydrant. It will dribble out of the end of it. And so consequently, and, you know, publishing works on the basis that they line 100 books up and one of them will do incredibly well and five of them will do okay and the rest of them will disappear and those six of relative success pay for everything else. It's like a sort of venture capitalist thing. And as a result of that, they do a minimal amount of promotion for it. If anyone thinks... That their book is suddenly going to be like an outstanding bestseller without doing some graft. I always say to mm-hmm. people in, in sort of the PDF I've I've done, but you know, writing your book and having it published, that means you've got to the start line. Right. right. So you've you've sort of you're in
1: the marathon, you're at you fit, you're ready to go. So you do your own publicity, you don't get a PR person say, Oh, you're doing this interview today, Bruce, and um, another one tomorrow. I mean you can hire
0: a publicity person to do it.
1: But the publisher doesn't just provide it. Little like bits
0: here and there. Right. And, you know, bits that are very zeitgeisty, they'll get incoming. So they'll, you know, the press desk will get incoming from Good Morning Britain and they'll say, have you got anything on this? And the press desk at your publisher might say, yeah, we've got something on that. Okay. And they might field that. But more often, you're far better off being resourceful, inventive, you know, just try and sort of hatching reasons to... And what,
1: what did you do? Did you do... You did interviews, radio, TV?
0: No TV. I did a radio for today, which is probably sort of the, the best thing. I basically found a niche. My book is sort of all about improving work. So I realised, right, that HR community is big book purchasing audience yes. and a an audience of people who are passionate about these things so i just pitched myself for every hr publication that i could and there's a lot of websites like every podcast every so i just pitched myself for all of those things realizing it's you know a fertile area management today things like that pitching yourself into those places but does one of two things it creates a bit of content that then you can post yourself so it gives you another reason to sort of Trouble your LinkedIn followers. With another piece of content. Yeah.
1: Serious question. Why is the book not called the same as the Eat, well, Eat, Eat Work Repeat Well, uh, initially uh, it was going to be
0: called New Work Manifesto. Ah. And then they did a... Because I had something on my website which was about that. And then they did some designs for that. And they said, Manifesto isn't a very desirable word to buy. Ah. And then we had a lot, a lot of discussions on the name. And I think... Just an illustrate, I didn't really care for the name, but I didn't object to it. It was like a big discussion between me and Nigel, my publisher. I didn't object to it enough to say no to it. I think he liked it because these people of a certain age who remember the joy of, of sex. sex yeah. you let me tell you, no one under 30 ever heard of the joy of sex. So, you know, it's like, while it resonates with a certain community, my audience I wanted it was sort of someone aged 25 to 35. So, you know, I, I didn't object to it, but I didn't love it.
1: So, but I believe it's um, coming out in the in the United States, but under the... Under Eat, pod- Sleep, Work, Repeat, yeah. Yeah. That's not because the Americans don't want any references to the joy of sex.
0: Uh, I, I'm not sure they're aware of it, but it's more, number one, Americans like to think that they're first to things rather than second to things. Ah. I mean, the strange thing is, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat is actually based on a Fat Boy Slim song. And unless you know that song, Eat, Sleep, Rave, Repeat, then like it just seems like a connection of words. And the US don't even know that song so what a hot mess I've got myself into
1: <laughs> I've got one more sort of serious question then we'll finish with our uh, uh, classic lighter question on the dog and bone about your most embarrassing business moment but on the on the serious one what advice Chris would you give to another business executive about thinking about writing a book
2: I, I want to answer a slightly different question because it's a point I, I I think it's a point we haven't touched on that I okay. think is really relevant to write right. for, for me and I don't know if, if you found as well one of the Which I think might actually, so I might be able to segue into an answer to that question. Which is one of the most useful things about writing the book for me is it forces you to organise what you really think. True man. And so, so you know, a lot of what I wrote about, I wrote about you know, kind of my you know, a a sort of a culmination of a a career in you know, a career in advertising, particularly but, but latterly in leadership. And it 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 make it's made me far more able, I think, to talk to the people around me, to my clients, to my peers, the people who work for me, about what I really believe with regard to leadership. I think a lot of people in, in and and my book is about is about leadership. And that and I think that the act of writing something down, as opposed to sort of just vaguely sort of thinking it and believing yes, it, but actually yes. having to sit and write it down, and not just write it down, but try and write it down in a way that's readable and somebody might actually want to read more than the first three or four pages really forces you to organize your thoughts and really forces you to you know to, to challenge some of the things you think you yeah. know when you write something down and you think you know even i don't believe it and i've written it down then you know you, you cut it out
1: so it gives you a discourse uh, yeah, yeah, that you can take uh, with you afterwards. yeah
2: absolutely absolutely and i and so sort of to, to try and segue that into an answer to your question I, I think that 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 is a reason for people in in business, people in all sorts of other walks of life, but people in business to sit and read a book because I think to write a book, because I think if you do, if you do, potentially whether you publish it or not, you know I think that that will make you better at your job. The process of just going through that, and so so in some senses, I think the one thing I would slightly disagree with, with Bruce on a bit is is i think yes you've written the book and you get to the bookshop and that is the start of the process for me it was a bit more than that because actually having got to that point and having you know crystallized so much of what i instinctively believed that automatically helped me anyway and then the fact that maybe if, if a couple of people have bought it and it helps them that's better as well
0: I agree with you. But you know that thing where you like, someone gives you an answer and then you, you say, and so what? Yeah. And then like they say that and you say, and so what? And unless you're really resolute on what your and so what is, then you could end up spending a lot of energy on something where there's you know, it's, it can be very disappointing. But, you know, that's right? So your experience yeah. is a good one because you think, yeah. yeah, I've seen my yeah. book out in the wild. Yeah. Most books don't yeah. get seen out in true. the wild. I'm sort of on a WhatsApp yeah. group with a, a few authors and, and it's quite a yeah. lonely experience because you're yeah. expecting this yeah. movie, yeah. like, explosion, denouement, and it's not that at all. So uh, I just think be really clear on why you're doing it and then why, why you're doing that and then why you're doing that. Because as long as you're clear on that, then you can handle the disappointment that might ensue.
1: We were coming towards the end of our podcast. I'm sure a lot of people listening will be wondering uh, which, which one sold the most no bullshit leadership or the joy of work, but we'll just, we'll leave that one hanging there for now. We always finish the dog and bone podcast with the question, what was your most embarrassing moment in a business situation? We've had a few great anecdotes over the couple of years. So, you had plenty of warning on this. Uh, Did we? you would have read your notes on the email. I'll tell you, Miles. So I'll start I'm with Bruce. Start you start, Bruce. So I'm a,
0: you know, the, the people I, I work with will know that I'm an idiot. But the, some of the ways that my idiocy is often demonstrated, I, um, I had one guy who was being suggested to me for uh, f- as an interview candidate. And I replied to my boss that I just thought he, that guy was a bit mediocre. And uh, unfortunately i'd been inattentive and i didn't realize that the guy was copied on the email but what happened was i spotted it just as the email was leaving my inbox on my phone and i ripped the back of my phone off it was an old (laughs) phone that you could do and i took the battery out of my phone and i turned my internet router off at home and then i took the sim card out of my phone left the internet off and then looked it and it was still sitting in the outbox of my email I was absolutely delighted <laughs> so I deleted it I'd saved the day I put my sim card back in turned turn the router back on and uh, another person who was on the email immediately contacted me on the phone saying I see you've emailed this candidate uh, describing him as mediocre shall I phone and apologise I was like if anyone's going to apologise I need to phone and apologise so it was a it was a cc error
1: so even ripping the back of the phone and turning off the yeah Microsoft honestly to... and the, the, like the annoying fact thing that you is, tried to
2: switch the st- internet off in order to <laughs> honestly it was like literally anything <laughs>
1: yeah it's sort of opposite of most tech problems is this sort of if you turned it on and off again no. you turn the whole yeah. damn thing off and yeah. it worked Cr- chris uh, you've had a minute to think of your most embarrassing yeah um business moment.
2: mine's have i suppose a, a, a variation on that i mean mine's quite mine's from the days where everybody didn't have mobile phones so presumably that's 90 percent of your audience isn't is not going to realize those days even existed. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, what, what there was and, and I it's when I was a BBH and I just remember that there was some you know I was an account manager or something and there was some client crisis anyway we're very familiar everybody's gonna be familiar with it. but, but a, a, a big crisis so my boss was uh, my boss was on holiday and I, 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 I what what do I do I didn't know what to do about this crisis so I so I summoned up the courage To go and see Nigel Bogle, and you know Nigel, one of the V's of BBH, and I, you know, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever had a conversation with. was a a very terrifying experience. I, I sort of, I I kind of, you know, got into his office and said, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. And there's some huge crisis, and my boss is away, and he's on holiday, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. So Nigel was fabulous. You know, absolutely. Don't worry, I'll, I'll deal with this. You know, you, you know, let leave it with me. He said, what I'm going to do. What I'll do is I'll ring your boss and leave a message on his answer machine for those that remember. <laughs> okay, so I'll leave a message on his answer machine and I'll just say to him that when he's back he's to phone you, Chris, and you know, and then he and he will speak. Uh, so he rings uh, so he rings the, the answer machine, gets through to the airport, leaves a message and he says so so when you're when you're back on Saturday, if you could ring Chris Hurst on his phone number in those days people only had one phone number their home phone number if you bring my home phone number and sort of police hand over the field looked at me so that i could recite my home phone number to him and a week before i'd moved house and didn't didn't know my new home phone number was so i was forced to concede that i I actually don't know my phone number. <laughs> not, busted, he should have just given him at 07256 <laughs> and then hurriedly rung back. And he looked at me like I was a total moron, which, uh, I mean, it's only unimaginable these days, not being able to remember your, your mobile number, but in those days it was very painful. So um, I have to say, I don't think, I don't think he and such, I had a conversation two of the Two such starry years.
1: careers have produced those embarrassing moments. You've, you've, you've got they're, through it pretty well. They're only the ones that we're both prepared I, to talk about in public. Yes. Thank you so much for enabling me to to chair this edition of the book programme. Published authors, Bruce Daisley and Chris Hurst. (laughs) Thank thank you you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.